Hey everybody, Jeff Mazone here, co-host of Reen Our Voice. I'm here with my five-year-old Sophia. Say hi. Hi. <laughs> hey, real quick, this is going to be a two-part episode. Our conversation with Dr. Matthew Bruninger uh, is just too good to trim, so we're going to make it a two-part episode. So immediately following this one, just get right into the second one. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much, and God bless. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 20 of Renar Voice. My name is Robert Swatala. I'm one of the co-hosts for Renar Voice, and with me, my friend and co-host, Jeff Mazzone. How are you, Jeff? Good morning, bro. How's it going? It's going good. It's going pretty good. Episode 20. We made it to zero. That's, uh, that's somewhat impressive, I think, right? We'll just, we'll just keep going. That's right. We got, we got more to come. Um, yep. You know, one of the things I wanted to mention is it's interesting how God, I think, has navigated us through this this journey of doing this podcast, hmm. and both from just topics and uh, bringing us together, first of all, um, but bringing guests into our lives. And I think we have one of those moments today hmm. uh, where I think God has orchestrated the opportunity to, to interview somebody that was involved in your life prior to this podcast, correct? Oh, sure. Yep. Yeah, from from the college days. Yeah. And today's guest, uh, Dr. Matt Bruinger, he's one of those friends that I've had, you know, who I talk to him like once every two years. And it's like, we're good, you know? <laughs> and it's a, it's a real joy and pleasure. And just like that instant, um, yeah, just that connection, that sharing, the comfort. And, and uh, that's a real gift. It's a real joy. So, to have him here now that he's a clinical psychologist uh, talking about a topic that's very dear to us at Liberty, it's just like, boom, I can't believe like the yeah. worlds are kind of coming together here. Yeah, and it's all, it makes me smile, uh, you know, mm. when I watch and see how God orchestrates those things. And I think today is a perfect example. So, we want to make sure we have a lot of time to get right into it. So, Jeff, if you don't mind, could you introduce our guest today? Yep, sure. So, today we have Dr. Matthew Bruinger. He's an assistant professor of psychology at Franciscan University of Steubenville. He earned a master's in theology from Ave Maria University and a doctoral degree in clinical psychology from Baylor University. Dr. Bruinger is a licensed clinical psychologist. His clinical interests include anxiety, depression, trauma, and substance abuse. His academic interests comprise the intersection of faith and psychology, psychology of religion, and virtue formation. When not teaching, Dr. Bruinger can be found spending time hiking with his family or fishing in the local lakes. So, welcome, Dr. Bruinger. Good to have you, bro. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, this is great. This is this is fantastic. So, let's just get right into it. Um, this whole episode and inviting you on, this came because of your talk that you gave at Franciscan several years ago, which is on YouTube and we'll include a link uh, there. And I understand too that it's also developing into a book, uh, which is coming out soon and, and we can share that as well. But, you know, that whole talk was being restored in Christ. Yeah. What does that mean? What is the balance that we're looking for here as clinicians, as students, uh, between God as the healer and the work that happens mm -hmm. in the counseling room with the clinician? Yeah. So, <clears throat> that talk caught me off guard. I was asked to give a, a talk about um, healing, healing life's wounds. And the talk, the students really seemed to resonate with the talk. I mean, it was something that... Um, that they really uh, they took to, and it sort of surprised me a little bit. But it, it it showed me a couple things. One, it showed me that even within the, the Christian community, there's still a deep sense of hurt and woundedness. And this is 
something that I think as Christians, we have to uh, be willing to honestly address because there's a great temptation, I think, in Christianity because we genuinely believe Christ is the healer. We, we, we believe Christ is the power to heal. Sometimes when we don't get the healing that we desire or that we think we should be given, that we, that we think God wants to give us, we start to pretend. And so we act like we're all good or we sort of put on this facade or mask of the, the perfect Christian, which only does more harm to us. And it, it ends up impeding God's grace in transforming us. We, we sort of present this false self to God and say, here, help me. But God, to help us, he has to, he has to touch us as we are genuinely, authentically, humbly. So that talk really, it really opened my eyes to a real need in the Christian community. But so your question, Jeff, is like, what's this balance? Here's what I think healing is. I'll tell you where I've come, come to with the idea of healing. I think healing fundamentally is about being set free to love. That, that's the definition of healing I, I now use. Healing is being freed to love, to love the way we're created to love, right? Christ calls us to love one another. And any impediment to that ability is an, it's a, it's an enslavement. It's a, it's bondage. But anytime we can, anytime we're free to love the way God is calling us, then I think that's healing. Now, that, what's important about that is, um, where that line is between what we do in the counseling room and where God heals can get blurry there because the truth is, um, you know, in the counseling room, I think what we're doing oftentimes is we're giving names to concepts and ideas that can help people clear away the barriers that prevent them from hearing God's call, that prevent them from being docile to the movements of the Holy Spirit, that might lead them towards sin. We're trying to give give language, point things out, bring awareness. A big part of therapy is just helping people even become aware, to sit in the awareness of what's actually happening in their minds, their hearts, their bodies. We're giving them an awareness to see these impediments and barriers. And then we're giving some some tools to maybe help clear them away or, or adopt more healthy um, ways of thinking, acting. But but in all of this, I think sometimes we think of grace as this like this like weird add-on. Um, it's like a tumor on us that it acts sort of outside of us in this weird way. Like, like the way I hold a pencil, somehow like God's grace moves me the way I move a pencil. And that's, it's not the case. God's grace, it works according. Um, it moves us according to the type of thing we are. And so what's tricky about that is uh, God's grace doesn't always come with like, a, oftentimes, right? It doesn't come with a lightning bolt in some sort of, like, it just looks like me. Um, I'm moved according to the type of thing I am, a human being. And so, so that question of like, who's healing? I mean, it, it's always fundamentally God's grace. I, I need God's grace to do everything fundamentally. But he gives me these outside resources um, in his providence. I'm, I'm given these outside resources, therapists, tools, um, psychological theories, and, you know, that help clear away barriers to his grace and, and allow his grace to move more freely in me. But I think anytime Christ calls us to love and we're able to love, that is a healing. It's a, it's a, 
were no longer slaves. And so, yeah, I, I think I used to think there were maybe really clear distinctions. God's healing, our healing. Fundamentally, like ontologically, metaphysically, God is always the, the first mover, the prime mover. He's the He's the foundation of all of our healing. He's the foundation of our very being, right? But you have that beautiful passage of, of Christ healing the blind man. Actually, Jeff, you put me onto this years ago. I don't know if you ever, you might not remember this, but I mean, it, had, it has to have been 10 years ago. You mentioned the story of Christ healing the blind man where he spits into the ground and he makes mud and he puts mud on the blind man's eyes. And the part of what this can symbolize for us is God, could, he, Christ could have just said, you know, see, open your eyes, right? You're healed. He could have just said it. But what he does is he, he mediates his healing through physical material. That's sort of interesting that he uses his own spit and he uses mud from the earth. And part of what that might point us to is that God mediates his healing through natural things sometimes. And so for us as, as therapists, as counselors, we become a vehicle of God's grace and healing for the other person. We become that, that um, natural uh, vehicle that Christ can use um, to bring his grace and to bring his healing. And so it's not, it's not like, it's not either or, it's always both and, always. Sometimes we emphasize one more than that. Sometimes I might emphasize prayer with a client. I might pray more and invite them to bring Christ particularly into a painful thing. Other times I might use CBT and ask them to weigh the evidence. But I think it's a weird dichotomy to say like one is God, one is psychology. It's all truth is God's truth. And so if I'm doing something true in psychology, if I'm doing something true, then I'm mediating God's presence to this person. That's a long answer, man. I, I think he just called you mud. If I, if I interpret that that's correctly, right. I, I, you know, I, that, that's what I heard. I'm human, right? Hummus, earth, that's fine. It's yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I just love the philosophical integration there. It's like, I'm going to change your bio to, you know, integration of uh, philosophy, psychology, and faith. Dude, well, I'll tell you something, man. We, I just had a, I just, we, uh, some friends of mine and I got a grant to do this 10-day seminar. And it was awesome. We got 10 participants from all over the country. Some student, I probably should have told you guys about this actually. Some students and uh, uh, some practitioners. And what we wanted to do is we, we want to begin to think about what um, integration looks like. Now, admittedly, um, we were looking at this predominantly from a, from a Catholic lens because the truth is um, our, our Protestant brothers and sisters man, have been doing, have been seriously thinking about integration between Christianity and psychology for like 50 years since the seventies, right? Like I think we're, we fall behind in that a little bit. So part of what I've been trying to think about is, yeah, what, what does authentic integration look like? Where are the lines clear? Where are they blurry? But I think for me in my own life, it's something that um, I think it will be a lifelong pursuit. I'm weary of anyone who ever says that they've arrived anywhere. Like, oh, got it. This is it now. I'm, I'm just skeptical in general, but I think we should all be as counselors, as clinicians who are uh, men and women of faith. I think we should be thinking about what integration means. And that should be something that we're open to God continuing to develop in us as we mature, 
as as Christians. You know, that ties into what you were saying earlier there, Doc, about, um, you know, that the healing is really freeing us for love. And just thinking of that Matthew 48, you know, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, which is a great line to set a lot of people in the counseling room into a tailspin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I mean, what is, I mean, the Greek word there is telos, right? Like end, you know, what is the end for which you were created? And that passage comes immediately after Jesus's instruction about how it is that we're supposed to love. Yeah. Right. So now you're getting into it, like the ontological. This is what we were made for. We were made to love, and the problem is, is that boy, we got a lot of obstacles and barriers and impediments and triggers that are preventing us from living up to the call. Yeah. As you were saying, you know. So yeah. I, I love that. That I mean, that's fantastic. And and, and uh, Saint Paul says in Galatians five thirteen, Paul says, "For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love." serve others mm. that are that we were called to love and serve that's it like i mean think about um uh, jesus heals peter's mother there, there's this was the reading a couple maybe a week or two ago jesus heals peter's mother and um something fascinating happens it's like it's a real flippant passage like he walks in peter's mother has a fever jesus touches her um immediately she's healed the fever leaves and then there's this line and it just says she hopped up. It doesn't say hopped. She stood up. She sprang up. Uh, what's the Greek there? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she, she hopped up and immediately began to serve them. Hmm. I mean, that there's something important about we're not healed, and I don't think you can even call it healing, if we turn in upon ourselves, or if we become selfish, we become self-seeking, we become greedy. We be- healing is oriented toward love and service. Hmm. That's it. I mean, that's the end for which we're, we're, we're created to love God and love others in God. Um, and so, this is, we see the Israelites are freed, right, from Egypt. And one of the first things God teaches them how to do is worship, how to serve him through worship. I think this is the purpose of freedom, it's to serve God, to love God, and then to love our neighbors as a result of that. And so, mm-hmm. love and serve our neighbors. And so, we're called to freedom, the purpose of being of maximum service to God. I think this is it. I think that's, and, and by the way, the beauty of that, y'all, is that that means, and this is good news for us as therapists, that means that we don't have to get rid of everyone's pain and suffering completely. That, that healing doesn't mean the absence of pain or suffering. No, it means freedom to be able to love the way we're called to love. And that's good news because Christ also says that we'll have the cross. Pick up your cross daily and follow me. And so, we can still be free to love even if we're suffering the pain of whatever cross is in our life. St. Paul St. Paul is a weird, um, he sort of offers this weird example, right? Like, he has this thorn in his flesh. And he says uh, three times, now this is St. Paul. I mean, this is like the most zealous missionary of all time. This man, he's seen Christ. He has this conversion. He sees Christ. He has this this vision of Christ. So he's not like, he's not just like your average Christian dude, right? He's like, St. Paul has seen some stuff and he has this thorn in his flesh. He's obviously very close to the Lord. He has this thorn in his flesh. He says, I asked the Lord three times to remove it. And you're like, if if God's going to honor any, like St. Paul, is surely the man's doing more for God than like, and, and Christ doesn't, he doesn't take it. 
And that whatever that thorn is, right? And you know, some theologians debate this, but whatever that, that thorn is, it's painful. It's a wound. And Christ doesn't take it. He doesn't remove it. And so then we're left with the question of like, well, okay, so did, so was St. Paul healed? And I think he was, but I think the healing he received, right? When Christ says, my grace is sufficient for you, I think the healing he receives is the freedom to go wherever the Lord calls him, despite the thorn in his flesh. See, th- this is a problem for a lot of us. A lot of us have thorns in our flesh, right? We have these wounds. And your thorn can be like, I'm afraid I'm not good enough. I'm afraid I'm not smart enough. I'm afraid nobody finds me attractive. I'm afraid, right? We have all these thorns. And most of us walk through life trying to avoid having our thorns pressed. Like, oh, I'm not going to take that job if it's going to make me feel stupid. I'm not going to ask that girl out if it's going to make me feel ugly. I'm not going to. Um, I'm not going to have kids if I'm going to, right? Like we have all these thorns and we avoid, we're really good at it too. We avoid having our thorn press. Um, it can even look like success, right? So I feel like I'm not valuable. I feel like I'm not lovable. I feel like I don't have purpose. So I, I succeed. I'm going to go to the best colleges. I'm going to make lots of money. I'm going to show people that I'm valuable. Because we have this thorn in our flesh that constantly says, see, you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're not good enough. So we try to avoid having that thorn pressed by succeeding and by, right, by, by getting to the top of companies and making lots of money and having lots of houses and blah, blah, blah. Okay. We're avoiding having our thorn flesh. We're not free. Our whole life is a reaction to our thorn. That is not freedom. If I'm walking through life trying not to have life touch my thorn, I'm a slave to my thorn. What St. Paul is given is he's given the freedom to go wherever the Lord calls him radically. Hey, you're going to Galatia. All right, let's go, right? You're going to Corinth. You're going to Rome, right? He's able to go freely and just bring the thorn. So so healing for St. Paul isn't the absence of, of pain. That thorn is painful, whatever it is, but it's still being able to go and love and serve the Lord despite that pain, to bring it with him. That's the cross in our life. If we're going to be followers of him, we have to pick up our cross daily and follow. Yeah, that, that is that is so good. And there's there's so much there so and so, much. such good wisdom. Yeah. Um, I had the opportunity to listen to and watch your, your YouTube video for your, yeah. your, your talk. And I, yeah. and I thought it was fascinating. Uh, I thought you did a, a great job. Yeah. But one of the things that I that I took out of that and I could personally relate to it is your own personal wound woundness. Yeah. Yeah. That I think has brought you to this point. And I think that's such an amazing thing to watch. And I think a lot of us experience that is, is God delivers us from our woundness or use that yeah. woundness to yeah. then serve him. And, yeah. and I think you're a perfect yeah. example of that. And I, I can relate as well. Could you just share with our listeners real quick for yeah. some context of how God has kind of worked in your woundness to put you to this position? Yeah, for sure. I mean, so <clears throat> I, uh, my, my mom um, got pregnant with me when she was 21, back in the early 80s in a small town. Um, and my mom's white. Uh, my biological father was African American. Um, and so, you know, this is the kind of thing. My mom was kicked out of her house, wasn't allowed to, to be in the house. And, uh, I mean, raised me. And, and I'll, I'll say that it's a long story, but there's so much healing that happened even there. 
uh, between my, my extended family, my grandmother, my grandfather, some beautiful stuff happened. And, and those re- relationships have been reconciled. But the point is like early on, my mom had to go out sort of on her own and, um, gave birth to me and was a single mom. Uh, my biological father left when I was like for good when I was about four. And you know, my, my stepdad came into the picture. He legally adopted me. The man I call my dad, you know, was my stepdad. He legally adopted me. And, uh, uh, but you know, he's from, he's from a, a very, very poor part of Philadelphia, inner city Philadelphia. And he, um, grew up seeing some terrible things in his own family of origin, some real brokenness and dysfunction and chaos. And, um, and, you know, he has his own struggles. And, and as I went in my teen years, those struggles started to, you know, my parents' marriage got really rocky and I was feeling, uh, just like lost and didn't know where to turn. And so, um, I turned to whatever I could to sort of numb the pain, you know what I mean? Just the, to not have to feel, to not have to, uh, to, to avoid the chaos and to, to not have to feel the insecurity. And, and that was like, whatever it was, you know what I mean? Like this, this, whatever the specifics we all have, whatever it is, it was like, I, I was just trying to not feel the pain and the insecurity and the, the stress and the life just felt so unhinged for me. And at that time too, I'll say this is sort of important, but I, I was like peripherally involved in the church. Like I, like I was involved in the church and on like Sundays, but, but it wasn't like God had a deep, deep um, place in my life. You know, actually when I was in high school, I started going to this local church um, where all the college, where all the college kids went because I thought like it would be a great way to meet college girls. Um, it's like generally the wrong reason to go to church. Right? <laughs> um, yeah, it's God did not have a, a transformative impact on my life at that time. And, and I went off to college. I went to a good college and I just kept spiraling guys. I don't know how to explain it. My life was so dark and the darker it got and the more desperate it got, the more I grasped at things outside of me. Um, right. Substances to, to just, try to take away the chaos and relationships. And I, it was just this swirling mess. I dropped out of college. I came home and like wh- where I ended was I was like having panic attacks. I couldn't, I mean, I was sleeping until two or three in the afternoon. I was having panic attacks. I was so depressed. Um, one night I was, I was driving my car and I, I was crying my eyes out. And for the first time in my life, the desire to end my life was stronger than the fear of ending my life. You know, up to that point, I had sort of had thoughts about you know, like passive suicidal thoughts, but I was always afraid of what that would mean. And, but this was the first time when I, I wanted, I, I wanted out so bad and more than I was afraid. And that scared me. You know, I was like, I, I'm in a bad place. And I don't know what to do. And I ended up um, going up to, to, I have this, this aunt who's very religious, a very devout woman. Yeah. And like sort of annoyingly devout. 
That, that's a great way to put it. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, Jeff knows it really well. Um, and uh, I mean, these were the people who who would, uh, you know, would be sitting down. And at the time, like I said, I wasn't really practicing my faith at all. But we'd be, you know, sitting down to dinner and nobody, you know, and they'd come in, they'd be like, I'd start eating and they'd be like, are we going to say grace? <laughs> like, all right. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, but what I'll say is what I saw in her is every time I'd bump into her, she would say, Matt, I love you so much. We're praying for you and um, you're going to be okay. And like she, she had, she and her husband, she and her family, they had a joy that I didn't have, man. It just had a joy I didn't have. And, and at that point, I was desperate enough that I was willing to take suggestions. Life had beat me down to my knees. And so I ended up showing up on their doorstep at like 10 or 11 o'clock at night um, and just said, I will do whatever you tell me to, to do. But like, I need help. I don't know what to do anymore. And, um, uh, you know, the next day they, they introduced me to, you know, I, I had to go away for a little while to kind of get, get my head right. Um, and, uh, so for like 30 days I went away and I, I had a chance to clear up a little bit, clear my head, clear my mind, clear my heart. And when I got back, um, I was introduced to a program that just changed my life. And it was a, a simple program that just, um, that said, we'll help make you free, help make you free. And the only requirement, right, for this freedom is, um, you have to take a couple simple suggestions. And if you follow these suggestions, you'll be introduced to, to a God, a, a power greater than you that can give you the freedom you desire. And I was like, all right, I can, I'm, I'm open to that. And, uh, dude, that began a journey in my life that has been unbelievable. I mean, it, it has been 17 years since, since I've had to look outside of myself to, to alter my experience. It's been 17 years since I've had to, to try to numb out my feelings. And it's been 17 years of people showing me how to grow up, how to mature. And that has been hand in hand with, with, with a faith journey. They're, they're inseparable. My maturing has been a part of me growing in my faith and my relationship with God. And I don't know, man. I'm, I, I'm not, not that this is everyone's experience, but I'll say that I don't have panic attacks anymore. The depression has lifted. Um, and I don't think that's the, that again, I don't think that has to be the, the mark of healing completely. I think, I think we can still have thorns in our flesh and be healed. But, um, Man, my life is like, and now today, the, the very things that were the, the thorns in my flesh, now, rather than trying to deny them or pretend they weren't there, right? Like, I use those. Those are, those are, God uses those in my life to help other people. I'm a, I'm a psychologist, right? I'm, I get to work with college students who are in dark places all the time, share my experience, strength, and hope with them. And, uh, man, I was just reflecting on this last night, actually. Now, I've been to, places in the world I never would have been able to go. I've met people. I've, I mean, like everything I have is because, because those people were willing, you know, my aunt and uncle were willing to spend that time with me and introduce me to a new way of life. And man, you know, I, I don't know everything I have today is because of this new way of life, because God has delivered me. And 
I couldn't have been a father in the state I was in. I, I, yeah, dude, I couldn't have made it another month feeling the way I was feeling, but I certainly couldn't have been a father. Couldn't have been, I couldn't have a job. Dude, I had a part-time, no, I had a part-time job at a deli at the time. This, this deli that I called Price Chopper. And, um, I'd show up, like, I'd be out to like, two three four in the morning and i'd have to show up at five thirty to like open the deli and you had to like go in the back and like get all the meats out or, like, like the cheeses out and i remember like i i just go in the back i fall asleep i went in the back one day i just fell asleep my boss came in and was like what are you doing dude? like you're the ladies the old ladies are out there lined up it's senior citizen day they want their cold cuts and you're back here asleep the deli's not open you know like i couldn't even work part-time at a deli let alone hold a job as like a, a college professor. And this has been like, this has been God working in my life with, look, and it's not to say it, I haven't like participated. It's not like God whisked me away on some pink cloud. And it's just been like, um, it's been hard. I've had to dig deep. I've had to share parts of myself, wounds, hurts, secrets, things I thought I'd go to the grave with. I've had to dig these, these cancers out and share them with people. It's not like, it's just like, God kissed my forehead and all was well. Like, no, um, it has been painful. I've resisted sometimes, you know, it's not like I'm this saint who like, like there's been times when I'm like, no, not doing it, you know? And then like life beats me back down to my knees and I'm like, all right, Lord, I'm back. Here we go. Um, but man, God is, he is faithful. He's patient. He wants this for me. He wants this for us. And so to the extent that I'm simply willing, humble and willing, man, by humble, I mean like honest with where I'm actually at. The great temptation is, and you guys, will, you, you probably already feel it, this like imposter syndrome, but because I'm a counselor and therapist, like I, I, got, I have to have it all together, you know? No, I don't have those problems. Oh, you have, oh, you struggle with some anxiety? Yeah, not me. I'm a psychologist. Like, of course, dude, of course I feel anxious. Like, I feel anxious the first day, every day, every, the first day of class when I walk in to teach, I feel anxious. My stomach has butterflies. What's this class going to be like? You might be like, I still feel those things. Um, for me, being humble is being honest about where I am, being honest about my experience. So long as I stay humble and willing. This journey, this relationship with Christ continues to grow. I'm rambling. You guys probably have more questions. Yeah, real quick before we get into the question, the next question. I love those, I'll call them recovery stories, because I believe that's what you're referring to, is that the recovery program, that transformation. and, And I think it's that that bottom of the pit. You're at the complete bottom. And, and there's nowhere to go. And, and, and the only place you can do is look up, see God reach and just say, I I give up. I give up. I need you. And, and and then watch God, like you said, it's a partnership, but then to watch God transform and just do amazing things. It's probably one of the most, uh, amazing ways I've seen God move in people's lives is through a recovery program. And then to watch them, him use them, like, just like he's using you, using myself to then further the kingdom. It is a, it is a beautiful testimony of, of God's love and grace. Yeah, man. I, I find so much genuineness, so much authenticity. I, I think so many of the modern day saints are in the rooms of recovery. 
because these are these are folks who these are folks who know who they are and they know who God is. And these are folks who rely radically upon God's grace daily in ways that sometimes um, Christians who haven't hit a bottom like that still have a little too much uh, like I in their life, a little too much ego in their life. Like, yeah, God's great. Like they have all the words. They can quote all the scripture passages, but, but in reality, the day-to-day living, there's still a lot of subtle ego. And the people in those rooms of recovery, they know where I, they know where ego has gotten them. And they just sort of radically rely upon God's grace daily. And so it's funny in, in some of those ways that various, whatever drives you into the rooms of recovery can be a real blessing. Um, because it it puts you in a, a place of understanding like who I am and who God is. And I know where I know where my bread is buttered, man, you know? And so long as I remember that, my life stays pretty good. Yeah. I think those pro they're they're I think they're divinely inspired. I really do. Doc, it's funny, like the the two times I've been on campus at Liberty, you know, I get talking to students and, you know, by the end of the week sometimes i I've heard several times like man, I've never met like a Catholic like you before. And I'm always like, <laughs> I'm like, shoot, you should meet my friends. <laughs> you know? like, so, here you go, folks. Here's we one are, of the friends. <laughs> we are out there, man. Like uh, I teach at a small little Catholic college called Franciscan University of Steubenville. It's like, it's like uh, the Catholic Disneyland out here, dude. It's, these students are serious. I mean, they're like, it's a, it's a, it's a good thorn in my flesh, man, to watch the devotion some of these students have. I mean, they're going to daily mass. And, and so they're, they're in this, you know, at each mass, you know, there's, there's readings. They're in the word. They're in the scripture every day at mass. They've got these, they're reading about the lives of the saints and they're, they're trying to model their life and their devotions after they sit. They fast. They pray. They do Exodus 90. They're taking cold showers and offering it up for purity. And I'm like, dude, I put my shower on like half cold the other day and I was like, nah, man, I'm not. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I love whatever, the cold showers and excess. Yeah, whatever <laughs> grace is in this, I'm not. I'm not in for it. So, like, I'm. Yeah, there are some great. There are, man. I think it would be great if actually some of our, our, our Protestant and Catholic brethren came together more, because there's there's a lot of work to be done. Yeah, we have some things to hash out, right? Theologically, and that that's fine. We can have those discussions in charity and seek truth, and that is important, but. Man, there's there's a whole world outside of us that's on fire that we should be united in. Yeah, Jeff, what he meant to say is that was me, the Liberty student that, that, that said that. That's really what he wanted to say. I'm he just, I'm just he tired didn't want of to call me out. Listen, I'm tired of feeling like a leprechaun when it comes to Liberty. You know, like yeah. this mythical Ooh, creature. You pray? <laughs> oh, you pray? <laughs> Oh, oh gosh! All right, we gotta we gotta keep moving here. Okay, <laughs> we are devout though, man. But there are some devout Catholics. So. Uh, yeah. so, Doc, I mean, you know, we're talking this healing journey here, and you know, you've shared your own. And uh, what's the dynamic you've noticed between like knowing God's love, right, intellectually, especially a theologically devout Christians? Yeah. But then also experiencing that sensory emotional encounter of God's love and, and how that transforms too. You know, we're, we're yeah, talking this yeah. radical encounter with Christ's love, yeah. but yeah. it's not really radical if it only hits our brain. No, that's right. I think that, I think a lot of us, that's what it is. I mean, we want this deeper encounter, um, but it kind of gets stopped, right? Like right here in our, in our, in our head. Um, and so, you know, some of the research out there, 
that's sort of interesting is there's different terms for this God concept, God image. Um, but basically what you get is there's sort of two dimensions to this. There's, there's a, a way of viewing God that's didactic. It's what you've been taught. It's the catechetics, the, the what you learned in Sunday school, you know, um, Bible study, that sort of thing. It's your knowledge about God. And, uh, you know, what we'll call that God image. That's your God image. Now, if you ask, <clears throat> if you took all the Liberty students and you're like, okay, who is God? They'd be like, God is love, merciful father, heavenly king, you know, blah, 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 all these names, right? Divine healer, redeemer, all true. All true. God is mercy. God is love. God is forgiveness. All true. But then if you, if you ask them about their God attachment. And so attachment is, you know, in, in child caregiver relationships, um, attachment is that, that emotional bond of security that's formed between a child and a caregiver. Um, and this comes out of the work, you know, John Bowlby's work and Mary Ainsworth. But you see it. This is, this is attachment behaviors are when I walk into an, a room of people with my uh, one and a half year old and all of a sudden she runs and clings to my leg. That's an attachment behavior. Um, we see attachment behaviors in times of threat or distress. Times of threat or distress. A child should seek proximity with their caregiver because they view them as a safe haven. They're a safe place. The, 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 the caregiver provides a felt sense of security. The reason this, this attachment stuff is important is because it turns out that our relationship with God can be an attachment relationship. God is our divine caregiver. He's father. And so we can have an attachment to God, this felt sense of security. We should have an attachment to God. It should be a deep, secure attachment. Yet, most of us, not most, many of us don't. And the reason for that is because what research has found is that for many people, their attachment to God is patterned off of their attachment to their parents. So the way you relate to your parents emotionally, right? Do you, do you feel like they're a safe base? When you're, when you're in your parents' presence, when you're in your caregiver's presence, do you feel like, like I'm, I'm okay, man, I'm okay. You just feel safe emotionally, physically, like in this relationship, as long as I'm here with you, I've got you, I'm okay. Now, as we mature into adults, we don't need the physical presence as much of our caregiver. What we bring with us is a mental representation of our caregivers. And so when I find myself threatened or distressed, or I can mentally represent like my caregivers who love me and experience that like, oh, I'm okay. I'm all right. If we don't have that with our caregivers, sometimes our pattern or template for how we view God, it becomes distorted. And so rather than going to God with this open, like here's a prime example, right? My kids should feel comfortable having big feelings in front of me. They should know that daddy is big enough to hold their big feelings. I can hold them. They don't destroy me. They don't scare me. I can not only hold them, but I can, I can like help them with them. And if my kid, if I can, if I can be that for my kids, create that holding environment, they will have that pattern or, or, or template when it comes to God that they can bring their genuine big feelings to God and that God can handle them. But if every time my kids feel big feelings, I'm sort of shutting them down or dismissing them or making them feel like they shouldn't be feeling that, that's how they're going to, they're going to sort of just naturally, habitually 
think about God that way. And so part of what I think goes into our healing is having a, a like a come to like a come to Jesus talk, man. It's like a not not who do I say God is, right? Because if you ask me who God is, of course I have the right answer, man. Like, of course I know God is Father, God is Lover, He's Divine Healer, He's Redeemer, He's right. I, you know, I had that poster hanging up in my bedroom with all the names of God and like the chapter and verse that they came from back in the late nineties. I could tell you all of those, but that doesn't mean that's how I actually feel, how I relate to him. Like it doesn't mean that he provides me a felt sense of security. And so the beauty, one one thing that I think could be helpful two two things maybe is to look at how do I actually relate to God and how are the ways that I relate to God? Like, the ways I relate to my parents. Um, when I feel threat or distress, do I turn to God? Do I feel like I always have to be happy around God? Do I feel like I always have to show him the good stuff? Do I always have to start with like, oh, thank you, God, I love you so much. Or can I just go in with like, this sucks. Like I'm pissed. You know what I mean? Can I just, can I be honest with with my father? There's this guy, Jeff knows him. He's this, he's this older um, priest. Um, his name is Monsignor Esif. Um, he was, he was, Mother Teresa's spiritual director when she'd come to the U.S. I think he's a genuinely mystical man. He's a holy man. Um, my daughter, uh, my two-year-old was born with this heart defect and she had to have open heart surgery. And we were really scared and it was a stressful time. And so I called Monsignor Esif and I asked him for prayers. And uh, he called me back and we were in the middle of this like festival. We had the family out. It was like evening. We're at this festival downtown. And he said, Matt, um, can we pray right now? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I kind of talked behind a tree with my wife and kids and put him on speakerphone. And he just, he, he yells out. He says, Abba, Father. Right? And I was like, what? It, you know, oh my gosh, right? He's yelling Abba, Father on the phone. And, I'm, and I realized what, like he talks to God the way. So my kids, y'all, my kids will be up on the third floor, second floor of the house. I'll be down in the kitchen. They'll be up on the second floor in the shower. The towels are on the second floor. Dad's on the first floor. My kids will yell out of the shower, Dad, Dad, get me a towel. Right? And naturally, I yell, no, I get yourself a towel, right? Um, but but they feel comfortable screaming my name. They, like, there's a beauty in that. And Monsignor Esif screamed his father's name. The way, you, the way my kids yelled, Dad, get me a towel, he yelled, Dad, we need your help right now. Like, dad, help me. This baby needs help. Help these parents. They're like, they're, they're scared. Help them. That's a secure attachment, y'all, right there. A secure attachment isn't like, okay, what do, how do I need to approach God to make sure he doesn't get angry at me? Or how, it's security. No matter what I bring to God, I feel safe and secure because God can handle it. And it's not just knowing that intellectually, it's feeling it in my bones. And so, so how can we start to build that, right? Um, one way, is to just begin with the characteristics that you need God to have. And this is going to sound heretical or like anathema to some people, but that's fine. Like, who do I need God to be right now? Like, what do I need? And that's where I had to start in rebuilding my relationship with God. I knew theologically, like, who God was, who he should be, right? But like, God, I need you right now. The defining characteristic is I need you to not need me to perform. I always felt like I was performing and like, I need you to, 
I need you to be the one person in my life who doesn't need me to perform. And I just need, like, for me, that was like my primary characteristic of like focusing on God as that, the being that didn't need me to perform. And I would pray to, to, to that. I knew, I knew God was bigger than me. I knew he was divine. I knew, but that was the characteristic that was overriding and that I needed most to start. And so like, I think to rebuild our, our attachment to God, we can start by saying like, what characteristic do I need to pray to God under? Like, what's the characteristic that I need in my mind to encounter you as right now? And, and to just to encounter God as that, to pray to God as that. That's one way. Another way is to then say, what do I need to hear God say to me? I heard a beautiful story a friend of mine was telling about, um, his father left left the family when he was, I think, uh, a teenager. And for years, I mean, this guy's this guy's a um, he's a youth minister. He devotes his life to the church and, and youth. And he realized after a long time that like his image of God was really his, his attachment to God was really distorted and messed up. And somebody said to him, "Like, sit down. What do you need to hear God say to you?" And <laughs> He's, he, I mean, in, in prayer, he sits down and he, he writes down, I need to hear God say to me, I'm not going to leave you. So for all these years, he'd been doing all this good work, but like he had this deep fear that God was like his father, that God was going to leave him. And what he needed to hear God say to him was, I'm never going to leave you. It was beautiful. He was at this men's retreat and uh, he wrote down what he needed to hear God say to him. And they were in prayer. and. Um, they handed these things into somebody and, and while they were in prayer, another man came up and said to them what they said they needed to hear God say. And so another man came up and you know put his hand on his shoulder and said, I'm never going to leave you, giving him this, this audible sense of God saying it to him. Dude, these, these are the experiences, I think, like sitting with God in prayer, but like a real coming to terms. I'm not going to, I'm not going to BS you, God. I'm not going to be like, by the way, like God doesn't know. I'm sitting here like, thank you, God. I love you so much. Like I, you're such a loving father. And deep down, I feel, I feel like maybe he doesn't love me. Maybe I can't be myself. Maybe, like God doesn't know that. Of course he knows that. I'm just, I'm only fooling and hurting myself by not being honest with God, right? He knows the depths of my heart. You know, I'm going to approach him like with this like mask and facade of like, Thank you for such a great day today, Lord. And I'm raising my hands up. I'm just so blessed to have you in my life. Like, no, I feel pissed off and angry and scared. And I don't know how to make sense of what you're doing in my life right now. And if God's not big enough to handle that, like, I'm in trouble. And and the truth is, if I can bring him, like, I'm a, I'm like a spiritual two-year-old, dude. If I can bring that to him. And, and be that and feel safe and being exactly the spiritual two-year-old I am, over time I'll grow and mature and I'll become a spiritual five-year-old. And then, right. And then eventually I'll be like the mother Teresa of this, of this game. So, but, but it has to be, <laughs> but it has to be, it has to start with honesty and humility. This is where I'm actually at God. This is how I actually feel about you. Yeah, I love your authenticity. Yeah. It's so refreshing. It's yeah. it's so good to hear. And and I think that humility and honesty is really um I think a lot of foundational um 
items to your five-step approach. And before we run out of time, I want to make sure that we get an opportunity for you to talk about that because I think that's something that sounds like you are very passionate about. It was obviously a very important part of your life. And you think in many of those things, and I agree with you, is a lot of key to healing. So could you just share with our audience um, what those five steps are and, and kind of maybe how you've learned to kind of integrate that into to the healing process. 